I want to read to us this morning from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 22 says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. And said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And the very next word, verse says, and they, then they began to argue about which of them was the greatest. So I want you to get the moment that Jesus lays out for them this Super serious, somber. This is my body, which is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. One of you is going to betray me. Instantly an argument breaks out. Wait, not me. Not me. Which turned into, well, it might be you, but I'm greater than you. I wonder if we might need some humility as we come to the table. Because we're a lot more like, frankly, like the ones receiving it than the one giving it, right? This is, this is my body. He gave it to them. This is my body given for you. So I'm going to ask a couple of guys to come and we do this fairly traditionally meaning that we will pass and um, just hold and we'll take it together. For thousands of years, Christians have done just as we're about to do today. They have passed the bread, taken the body, and done this in remembrance of Jesus. It is not lost on me, though, that for thousands of years... Christians have also done exactly what the next two verses say. They have argued. They have denied. If you would embrace humility with me today.
to say, I need more of Jesus and less of me. Would you join me in prayer as we thank him for his body broken for us? Jesus, there is not a thing in us that is worthy of this we partake. But we thank you that you willingly loved us when we weren't all that love we weren't all that lovable. And you gave your body so that we could be whole. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. We give thanks. new covenant in my blood do this when you drink it in remembrance of me Jesus we thank you for your blood shed for us again we acknowledge we do not deserve it today we thank you for the reminder that when we come to the table when we come to worship this is an act of humility. And may that spirit of humility change us now all through this week. Thank you for your blood shed for us. We remember you, Jesus. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. good to worship. It's good to take communion. And it's good to put our minds and our hearts in the right place. You know, we began the year with this new series we've called Mistaken Identity. And slowly but surely, we've been making our way through the uh, book of Colossians in the New Testament. And uh, today we will finish Colossians 1. So... We'll see how long Colossians 2 will take. I'm not exactly sure. I'm still working on that. But you might remember that we began last week to talk about the difference between toxic churches and healthy churches. And I want to continue that today. You know, last week we said that toxic churches only preach that the gospel is for everyone. 
healthy churches actually live that the gospel is for everyone. Today I want to continue to think about what it looks like to be a healthy church rather than an unhealthy church. Listen to the words of the scripture with me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, I'm going to begin at the beginning of the verse, but really I'm looking to pick up here in the middle. He says, if you continue in your faith, and he's sort of continuing a thought from before that we've already covered, but if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and you do not move on from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. This is the gospel of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions, which is a bit of a confusing statement. I'll come back to it. For the sake of his body, which is the church, and I have become its servant, so now he's repeating himself again. I I am a servant of this gospel, now the church I have become its servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, to the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. And y'all, you plural. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And I want you to notice now he's repeating himself again. He said, uh, verse 25, I'll present the, the word of God in all of its fullness. Now verse 28, that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That word full is going to show up one more time. To this end, I strenuous, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, <coughs> excuse me, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they too, basically, may have the full riches of complete understanding. So, I'll finish reading this text, but he, he, he says, look, I, I've got a calling to present to you the word of God in all its fullness, and, and I've got a calling to present you to the Lord fully mature in your growth, And here he is saying that this isn't just for you, it's for everyone, and it's for all the other Christians and all the other churches that they may have the full riches of complete or full understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you By fine-sounding arguments. In verse 4, verse 5, sort of pick up what chapter 2 becomes about. And we'll get to that next week. But I want you to follow the argument here. Because he uses the word full a bunch of times. And he is essentially trying to say that I'm going to give you the word of God in all its fullness. And that word there means fullness in the sense of completeness. In order that I can present you, the people of God, to God, fully mature. And there the word means finished, the word full. That you may be fully complete, fully finished, fully mature. And then he says, I want everyone to have the full riches of complete understanding. So he's using these words of complete and full and finished and mature. 
to tell us something very specific about what the gospel is supposed to do in us. And along the way, he's clarifying that the, the mystery, the secret, the, the hidden thing, the thing that is, that is the secret to all of it is simple. It is Jesus in you. It is Christ in you. The fact that you and I can have Jesus at all is, is sort of uh, mind-boggling, really, if you think about it. Right? Earth-shattering in a lot of ways that Jesus would come in His holiness, righteousness, grace, love, mercy, compassion, all that He is, He would come. And here He is presenting His body for the disciples. This is my body which is for you. Here He is presenting His blood for the disciples. This, this blood is the new covenant. This, 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 this drink is the new covenant in my blood. And, and what were they doing in Luke? They were arguing. Did they seem fully complete, mature, and finished to you? No. No, and there were people going around in uh, Paul's day, because this is quite a bit later now than the time of Jesus, and he's helping start churches, and he did not start the church at Colossae, but he is writing to this church that Epaphras started, and he is saying, hey, I want to see you be full and complete, meaning they're not there yet. Meaning they need to be humble. Meaning they've got a ways to go. But there are people who are sneaking into the church and sort of wolves in sheep's clothing who are changing the gospel. And they're going, the secret is... And like little kids playing the game, you know, telephone game goes around the circle. The secret just keeps changing. So you ask 20 kids, like, what's the, what's the secret? They all say something different. That was this church. And he's going, guys, guys, guys. The secret is Christ in you. There's no other secret. There's no other need for another gospel. There's no other need for you to be better than everybody else. Or like, like the goal is for you to be complete and mature and perfect and brought to, brought, brought to the fulfillment of what I intend. But you're not there yet. I say all of that to try to make this larger sort of point. In fact, it's the one thing I, I want to say to us today from, from this text and from the scripture. Toxic churches, inten- this is long, so just bear with me. Toxic churches intentionally limit what the gospel can change. Unhealthy churches, which is, which is not the far extreme of toxic, but still not good, unintentionally limit what the gospel can change. And healthy churches want the gospel, want Christ, want his death, burial, and resurrection, his grace, his compassion, his mercy, his love. Healthy churches want the gospel to change everything else. So if we're going to be healthy as a church, and we strive for that, right? Right? Then the goal is... To not put boxes around what Jesus can do in our church. Not put walls around what Jesus can do in our lives. The question largely for the people here in Colossae is, is their understanding of the gospel with all of the secrets these false teachers were teaching them, were they willing to be corrected? And that was going to come down to one really key issue. Would they be humble or prideful? Toxic churches say, "Mm, nope, this is the part that Jesus is not allowed to change. And I'm not talking about changing the word of God. I'm not talking about changing the gospel itself. I'm arguing that the gospel does not change. That's the piece that does not change. What should change is us. But we're pretty good at putting up walls. We're pretty good at sort of sheltering off some place in our soul and saying, I'm okay with Jesus changing my life. I'm okay with Jesus making me whole. Like, in fact, a little bit of wholeness sounds pretty good right now, right? Right? I'm okay with Jesus doing whatever Jesus wants to do in my life as long as he doesn't touch. Toxic churches are intentional about that. Just here are the things Jesus can't touch. The untouchables, if you will. Unhealthy churches play the same game, but they're less intentional about it. In fact, I, I, 
I really, I said toxic churches intentionally limit. I, I really worked hard because I wanted to say toxic religion will intentionally limit. Meaning we've sort of stepped out of Christianity. When we're into the place where we have changed something about who God is or the nature of Jesus or the nature of salvation, right? When we're in sort of the cult world. And, and, and don't you know this? Like in the world of the cults, like typically you find two things. You find something that is off in terms of the understanding of God. Something is off in terms of either Jesus or salvation or the Trinity or there's some, there's some kind of false teaching that's blended in. And I bet you 99.9 out of a thousand, 99.9 out of a hundred times, 999 out of a thousand times that, that what you also see in that cult is a leader who says, don't question me. I know you don't. I have the secret, you don't, don't question me. And what I find is that that spirit of I know and you don't, don't question me shows up in the Christian world a lot. And so I didn't change it to say toxic religion intentionally limits what the gospel can change because you see it in churches too. So toxic churches intentionally limit. They say, here's the box, untouchable. Unhealthy churches go, oh, well, we didn't really intend that. It, it just, we don't, we like, I'll just give you an example. Like, I'm not going to say that, that one style of music is healthier than another. I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that at all. But when you see a church who entirely lives, dresses, and acts like the year is 1956, And it's 2023. Is that healthy or unhealthy? Now, did those churches set out to say, we're holding on to 1956? Or did they just sort of, it was comfortable. It was, it was what they preferred. It was, it was easier in a lot of ways. And maybe they weren't intentional about it, but it, it just kind of kept continuing. And maybe there was one or two people who were intentional about don't change and don't this and, and don't that, but, but they just drifted and suddenly, what you end up with is a church that if 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 you and I said today we're gonna we're gonna not change for the next sixty years, this church will be dead in far less than sixty years. Because the church has to change. The gospel does not change. Right? We're not talking about changing the Bible, but we are talking about us changing along the way. Changing who we are. Healthy churches, on the other hand, want the gospel to change everything else. When I read through this and I read through Colossians as a whole, I find that Paul is saying, will you come back to the gospel or not? Will you let the gospel change you? And he's asking that in chapter 2 when they drift into all this false teaching. And every one of Paul's letters tends to follow a sort of pattern. It starts with dear so-and-so, or actually it starts with Paul. I, Paul, along with Timothy or Luke, greet to the faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae. And then he starts with some prayer of thanksgiving. I thank God that you... And then he comes around to the gospel and he spends some time clarifying the gospel. Read the book of Romans. It outlines exactly this way. The book of Galatians outlines exactly this way. This is just the way they wrote letters back in the day. They started with something that were thankful. They got to the heart of what they wanted to say. For Paul, that was always the gospel. So he clarifies the gospel. And then in Paul's writings, more than not, these letters we have in the New Testament, the second half of the letters, not always half, but the, 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 the two-thirds ending portion of the letter, is all practical. Where he is saying, here's what the gospel is, Jesus Here's how that's supposed to change you. Here's how it's supposed to change your relationships. Here's how it's supposed to change how you treat each other. Here's how it's supposed to change your family. And and seriously, when you read these letters, you get the sense that he's saying, the gospel is supposed to change you. Here are the changes that you should be letting the gospel make in your life. And what was going on is that in lots of these places... People were putting up walls, and I, I'm not okay with that. I don't, 
I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to change. And so when you read Colossians 3, read Colossians 4, I think Paul's literally asking, are you willing for the gospel to change your sins? Are you willing for the gospel to change your identity? Are you willing for the gospel to change how you treat each other, how you accept one another, how you love one another? Are you letting the gospel change wives, how you interact with your husbands, husbands, how you interact with your wives, children, how you interact with your parents, fathers, how you interact with your children, slaves, how you interact with your masters, masters how you interact with your slaves church are you willing to be changed by the gospel and what i think this ends up meaning is that in healthy churches all the fake religious kind of stuff that we all tend to complain about is out right no more sense of faking it or religious pretending no sort of walled off spots where jesus isn't allowed no self-righteousness where we're just saying i'm better than everybody else no rules that are like you know the leaders can break these rules but nobody else is allowed to right no religiosity without jesus no no self-focus or focus on ourselves no traditions and rules and regulations that are sort of held up above jesus none of the like Hey, it's all good. There's no such thing as sin. None of the denialism that comes along with a version of Christianity that wants to make everybody feel good, but leaves out a key component of what the gospel says. I think in a lot of ways, What we have to come to is a place where we want to be healthier. And to want to be healthier is to want the gospel to change all the unhealthy things that are inside of me. And that might be here in my head in a belief that I have. And that might be here in my heart in a feeling that's going on. And that might be in my hands in my practical actions and activity. So I want to go back through this one more time. And I want to give you five more secrets of Christ's power in healthy churches. Five more secrets of Christ's power in healthy churches. Number one, toxic churches come to the Bible with a spirit of pride. And healthy churches come to the Bible with a spirit of humility. Right? Verse 23, he says, This is the gospel of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in all its fullness. Servant. I don't know if you know much about the Paul story, but when you read his story that unfolds in the Bible, it starts in the book of Acts, right? And there he's called Saul, right? And and, and sometimes we Christians, like we like to get gimmicky. So we go, he was Saul until he met Jesus and Jesus gave him a new name and his new name is Paul. But the, the, the odds are that his Hebrew name was Saul and his Greek name was Paul and he was called both. Most of the time I'm called, hey, you. <laughs> right? So, so Saul, when you read Acts, is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were very, same people who interacted with Jesus, very well known for saying, we're better than all of you, religiously speaking, because we hold to the rules better than you, and we've got this all figured out, and you don't, and you don't deserve God, but we do. Look at us and how cool we are. And he was such a good Pharisee that he became in charge of sort of stamping out this new movement that was based on their minds on this crazy thing about this guy named Jesus. Same Pharisees who opposed Jesus. Of course, a couple of those Pharisees became believers and were part of the early movement of the early church. But Paul's going around, Saul, whatever you want to call him, in the book of Acts, and he is stamping out Christianity, which is my very watered-down way of saying he was responsible for the murder of Christians. You think there's just a wee bit of pride going on in any of that? When we begin to think that I have all the answers, so much so that the ends justify the means, and so I'm going to, you know, I don't have to get my hands bloody, but I'm going to stand back and I'm going to be the approver of this happening. 
Now Paul stands and says, I met Jesus. Jesus in me is phenomenal. But I am now his servant. Toxic churches come to the Bible with a spirit of pride. Healthy churches come to the Bible with a spirit of humility. Number two, toxic churches serve their leader's ego. Healthy churches, I'm being redundant and repetitive here, I apologize. Toxic churches serve their leader's ego. Healthy churches have servant leaders who raise up servants who, now get this, serve. Right? Healthy churches have servant leaders who raise up servants who serve Jesus, each other, and their community. So, so this is the moment I guess I have to ask. Is, is this like where I pat us on the back in pride and go, yay us, we have a servant leader. Look at how good our servant leader is. You know, that, that feels kind of prideful. <laughs> but I'm going to be as honest with you as I can. There are plenty of unhealthy things left in me. I've not arrived. I'm not fully mature in Christ. I still got a long ways to go. I still need the gospel to transform my mind, heart, all of it, right? I still need Jesus to do all of that in me. But we are very, very intentional here at Harvest Community Church about leaders that are servants, leaders that are humble. Because if those of us who stand before you are prideful, frankly, you don't have a chance. Unhealthy churches are led by unhealthy leaders. Prideful churches are led by prideful leaders. So goes the leaders, so goes the church. And so we have to, have to, have to be intentional. We have to be repetitive about servanthood. We have a group of leaders, that, you know, our, our team, our staff, right? And we talk about the need for us to be servants as leaders. And we have another set of leaders we call stewards. And it's a servant-based leadership model that all of it is built on the idea of servanthood. Healthy churches know that serving together makes us stronger. Healthy churches know that ministry is hard work, but we're stronger when we're serving together. That people are stronger, that we're more fully who we're meant to be when we're serving Christ together. And when leaders are servants and leaders are healthy, the church has its greatest chance to be healthy because so goes the leadership, so goes the church. Go back with me a moment to what I said about cultic type practices in cults more than not you have beliefs that where a leader says i know better than the bible and so i'm going to give you my bible or my gospel or my they lay something alongside the bible and says look the bible's mostly good but it's wrong on x y and z points and my writings are right on x y and z points that's a bit prideful wouldn't you say And then said leader says to the people, don't question me. This is how people literally end up drinking the Kool-Aid. And so I'm going to say, question me, but do it from the book. Right? Like the Bereans back in the book of Acts. Like, is that in the Bible? What does the Bible say? I must really like this page of my Bible because it just came out. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. Luke 22. We read it a while ago, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. And the Son of Man will go just as it's been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this betrayal. And also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. 
There's nothing about what Jesus was doing at the table that said now's a good time to argue about who's in charge and who's the greatest and who's the best. But that's exactly what they did. And so Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I I'm among you as one who serves. Servant leadership is the Jesus way of leading. And healthy churches know that. Number three, toxic churches teach that God's primary concern is your comfortability. And healthy churches teach that suffering is sometimes the best witness for the gospel. Can I be straight with you? I don't really like this one, this, this number three. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing to teach or say, but it's true. Toxic churches teach that God's primary concern is your comfortability. As long as you're feeling good, it's all good. And so there's a version of the American gospel that says, hey, God wants you to always, if you just have enough faith and send some money, Pride, right? Toxic leaders. If you just have enough faith and send some money, then I'm praying for you and you got to know that means God's going to make you comfortable. You're going to have all the health you need. You're never going to have to suffer. Contrast that with Paul here. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I choose joy in what I am suffering. That's not a very American kind of concept. It's not a very comfortable kind of concept. I choose joy in my suffering for you. And I, now here's that confusing statement I said I would clarify. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. It sounds like I had to read this so many times. And I went and read it in other versions. And I went back and I looked through original languages. And I just trying to... Oh man, what is this saying? That I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? Is he saying that what Christ suffered on the cross is not enough? And I've absolutely come to the conclusion that's not what he's saying. Let me, let me reread it and see if I can read it in the spirit I think makes the most sense. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in my flesh. So I'm repeating the in my flesh in a sense that it's not here. I'm taking, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in my flesh in regards to Christ's afflictions. In other words, in a lot of ways, I think the translators would have made more sense if they'd have said, I fill up on Christ's afflictions in my flesh. That what's lacking was in Paul's flesh. Not in Christ's suffering. And so I think what he is saying is, I rejoice in this suffering, and I am filling up in my suffering what I still need to learn about Christ's suffering, and I'm doing it for the sake of you, the church. Paul embraced his suffering. He chose joy because he suffered on behalf of Christ, because he was suffering so Gentiles could know Jesus. He was suffering so that the nation, so that everyone could know that Jesus loves them. He was suffering so the body of Christ could be full and complete, all it was meant to be. And remember, this is Paul who used to cause the suffering for Christians. Do you think he had some shame and guilt about that? I very much do. And when Jesus showed up to him on that road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul was persecuting the church. And Jesus says, that's my body. And whatever you do to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. And I think that mentality is going on here where he is saying that I had to discover in my own flesh 
the suffering of Christ. And in discovering it, I also found a dependence on Christ that is unlike anything else. I found that the energy of Christ was enough for me, which gets into the point I'll get to next, but where he says, I I contend with all the energy that he's given me. Like I am working hard for the gospel and like I'm out of strength because I'm suffering, but I'm not contending with my energy. I'm contending with his. And the reason it's his is because he's the one who is suffering inside of me. Not that the cross is not enough. Because everything else Paul writes is the cross is enough. Every, every, everything else, the cross is enough. So I simply want you to see here that our comfortability can't be the primary thing. In fact, I would suggest to you when you study church history that in the movements where the church suffered almost always are when the gospel spread the deepest and the fastest in the world. It was true in the book of Acts. Gospel came, spirit came to Jerusalem. There were people from all over the world. They went back to their hometowns. But all those Jewish believers stayed right there in Jerusalem until persecution came. And when persecution came and they suffered, the gospel was scattered all over the rest of the world and it began to spread. We prefer what's easy and comfortable. And I get why. Because guess what? You give me the choice between God heal my back and God don't heal my back. Do you know which one I'm asking? I would note for you in this context that there is, we sang about it this morning. There is a day when suffering will end. There is a time eternally speaking, where there will be no more suffering, no more pain. But it's always been the case that people who said, yeah, me and Jesus, I identify with Jesus. Baptism, I identify with Jesus, came with it some risk of judgment, even some risk of persecution. I'm going to skip that rabbit and go to number four. Sorry. Rachel and I were talking the other day. You'd be shocked what goes through our brains while we're leading here. Because we're focused on Jesus and doing what we're doing. And something pops into you and your brain's going, is that from the Spirit? Is that from me? So number four. Toxic churches are self-sufficient. Healthy churches depend literally on the empowerment of Jesus and His Spirit. I, I, I simplify that. Toxic churches say, we're good. We got it. Healthy churches say, we're done without Jesus. If Jesus doesn't come through, we're done. I mean, I know, I'm going to go a direction with this that isn't entirely what this is saying. But just think about this. Like, There are a few churches in America that are sitting on like a Jed Clampett sort of source of oil. That they're just fine no matter what. But we're one of those churches, along with thousands and thousands and thousands of other churches scattered across our land, where we're Jesus-dependent for sustenance, even for financial sustenance, right? Toxic churches, we can can explore all that non-Jesus-y stuff because, because we're good, right? We got pride, we got ourselves, we're good. Healthy churches say, "Mm, like we need Jesus now more than ever. Verse 29 to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'm like, if ever there was a theme verse for a pastor, that's got to be it. Like I work hard, but not with my own energy. But the energy he puts in me. Number five, toxic churches mold disciples in the image of their pastor. Healthy churches make disciples who live like Jesus lives and love like Jesus loves. I remember what I said a while ago. I, I, I said that toxic churches serve their leader's ego 
But healthy churches serve each other. They serve Jesus. They serve their community. Likewise, in the ego sense, toxic churches mold disciples in the image of their pastor. They hold their pastor up and say, this is what we're trying to be like. And there was a moment where this same guy, Paul, said, hey, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow my example. But here's what he said, follow my example as I also follow the example of Christ. In other words, I'm trying to follow him. If you're looking like me, it's because you're trying to look like him. So we're not trying to mold disciples who, you know, wear tan pants and tan shoes. We're not trying to mold disciples who look like Brian looks, love like Brian loves. Like, I am incomplete. I am not enough. But Jesus is enough. We mold disciples in His image. Right? Verse 2. Chapter 2, my goal is that the people may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they can have the full riches of complete and understanding so that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We're trying to be like Him. Doesn't that make sense? What do healthy churches do that toxic churches don't? They let the gospel make them like Jesus. That's why everyone's welcome. But given that everyone's welcome, he's also calling us to change. To be like Jesus, not like ourselves. To be like Jesus, not like our pastor. Toxic churches say, we don't want to change. Healthy churches beg for the body and the blood to make them more like Jesus. Let's be that. You with me? In the end, when we do that, we end up being a church that's for everyone. Let me pray for us. We always end with two prayers. I don't know about you, but I I, <laughs> I need more of Jesus, not less of Jesus, if I'm going to be complete and fully mature. You with me? If that's you, maybe for the first time you need Jesus today, even online, you can pray a prayer of salvation with me right here, right now. And then after that prayer of salvation, I'm going to pray a prayer of application for the rest of us who are already saved, if you will. But if you need Jesus today, it's not based on you being complete and full. It's based on His completeness being applied to your life. That's what the cross is about. And you can receive that. By praying, by asking, just saying like this. Just pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I don't deserve anything you've done. And I admit that I am a sinner. That I fall short. But Jesus, I ask you to take over me. And take over my life. And flood my life with your goodness. With your love with your mercy. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I believe you died for my sins on that cross. I believe that you are alive today. So live in me, Jesus. Make me like you. Finish what you started just now. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'd love to know it. We love to celebrate that. I want to celebrate that with you, but I can't celebrate it if I'm not aware of it. So bless you. Let me know. Let Craig know. Let someone know. If you're online, let us know with the... Digital communication card, or you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurchugene.com.
I don't know about you, but I, I, I need more of what this is telling me, even if it doesn't always feel good. I need more of Jesus and less of me. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, I need the gospel to change everything about me. And we need the gospel to change everything about us. So Jesus, do in us whatever you want. And make us disciples who live like you live, who love like you love. Fill us with humility, not pride, the desire to serve, not to be served. Fill us with your work and your power so that we can love everyone in our community. So that we can love them towards a personal, real relationship with you. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care more about our character than you do about our comfortability. Make us like you, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. It's good to worship. Let's stand as we as we close today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.